0: What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram, and of course, at our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster and uh today's guest, we're joined today by bridget west who you'll remember from the band new york loose they were sort of at the forefront of the mid-1990s new york i guess you could call it like a glam punk revival uh yeah that's a
1: that's a good way to say it there were a lot of bands doing that um you know she mentions a short list you mentioned a short list Uh, what would be your list that would sort of like that glam punk New York rock.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they were out. They were around the same time frame as, say, Degeneration and the Toilet Boys. Uh, New York Loose was right there in the running. Um, put out an album that's considered a bit of an underground classic called The Year of the Rat. Um, And uh, that's what they're best known for. And Bridget, of course, is going to tell us today about what she's up to currently. She's still releasing music. She's been living in England since the late 90s, I guess, um, originally from New Jersey. And um, yeah, she's
1: very cool, uh, very cool rock and roll lady. Um, Yeah. And, you know, her story starts in New Jersey and ends in England and... (laughs) And she's going to tell us a lot about that. And you think about, whoa, that's crazy. You know, and New Orleans and Los Angeles are right in the middle of that journey. And um, from touring with Marilyn Manson and um, writing songs with Sean from White Zombie and a group called Famous Monsters, it's it's kind of like crazy that she's not even just an inkling more of a household name yeah. uh, and, as far and- as her whole thing.
0: And me being the Ramones nerd, of course, I had to ask her some Ramones stories, and she, uh, she really opens up uh, about Dee Dee in particular, so that uh, we appreciated that. Great talking to her, a really interesting story, and as you say, she kind of bounced around quite a bit and um, has new music to talk about with us today. So uh, let's bring her on in and get talking about what's going on in the world of Bridget West. <laughs> ¶¶ So tell us, uh, Bridget, we're, um, you know, got some ground to cover uh, going back to New York Loose and obviously up to your current stuff. Uh, Let's start, I guess, with the present. Tell us about uh, lockdown and the inspiration behind it and where people can find it. Just kind of give us a snapshot of where you are right now musically.
2: Well, I mean, I uh, where I am right now musically or actually what where I was in, uh, you know, the 2020 lockdown. 2021, you know, I mean, craziness that we've all been through. Um, It kind of occurred to me that, oh, my God, the whole world is going through this or actually or, you know, most of the world is going through this. All of the people that I know across the globe have been impacted by this pandemic and are having to do this thing called isolation and actually, you know, I mean, in prison, you know, your most, your most, um, you know, the, the the kind of the 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 top, the top, you know, sort of um, punishment is called isolation. You, do you know what I mean? I was like, this is so cruel. It's such a a cruel um, sort of reality that we're all going through, and. I had some, like the first guitar player from uh, New York Loose died. Um, His name was Steve Antonaco. So he played on the, um, the bitch seven inches and he was like early, early doors, New York Loose. I was just thinking, my God, you know, everybody's going through this thing. Um, I actually have a couple of fans out there or people that actually will want to hear from me. What can I do for, for my fans? And so I started just I picked up my guitar and I just did these live recordings on my iPhone and um, that's locked down. Okay, so most of them I think there's like most of the songs are just sort of me doing either some covers or um, some old New York loose songs. And then I actually was able to have the opportunity to go into a studio Actually, I didn't have the opportunity to go into a studio, but I had the opportunity to work remotely with someone. And it was the um, the very first time I did that. So that was interesting. So I worked remotely with these producers and were, was able to um, kind of generate these songs um, uh, that are sort of the studio ones. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting uh, what isolation does to creative people. They either get really inspired out of boredom or introspection, or else you kind of shut down because you don't have the stimulation from the outside world.
2: Yeah.
1: Or you learn how to have a podcast.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, so many amazing things have happened (laughs) from this, you know, and you're right, but I think everybody, you know, it's sort of down to like what you want to do with your 24 hours you have in your day. you know, you know, what, what do you want to do with it? You know? So, um, there's been a lot of amazing things that have happened, um, around the pandemic, but, um, and I'm hoping, you know, what I did was a, a very small part of, of that. So.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, Jason and, and I have seen some of our friends in, in the music business, uh, do a number of collaborations remotely, as you were saying earlier. And, uh, and, and like he said we started this podcast so it's a if you're a creative person and you you know you take advantage of the time off I guess uh, who knows what can come out of it so you, you managed to get some songs out there to your fans yeah. so that's really cool
2: exactly I feel, yeah I feel like
1: if you're create your creative personality you 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 secretly and you don't realize it secretly but you you are longing for these I'll use your word, isolated, this isolation, so you can dig around in here and create something as a painter, as a sculptor, as, I mean, I guess if you were a landscaper, it would be similar. But, you you know, because you're not really around anyone and you're usually covered up or anything. Or if you're a spaceman, you're not around anybody or you're covered up or, you know there's all these different walks of life that this situation we've all been thrown into has, uh, sort of released the beast. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who are, uh, took a darker path, uh, Mm -hmm. during this time because of depression. And it could have been from something else that, uh, was in their life. Um, And that's just terrible. Those people do not need isolation. They need to be able to be, to keep socializing. And, and it's, it's the way that they sort of feed their souls. If they are someone like that, honestly, not to make it be about me uh, again, sometimes that happens. uh, (laughs) I, I, I I feel like this has been very productive for me and for you and I'll even throw Dave in here because, you know, he's a writer. I mean, he doesn't like get on stage and write in front of people. See what I'm saying? So, right. yeah, there's this so, part of all of us who are creative ghosts, if you will. Uh, can, I like gonna, that. I can, like that
2: creative ghost yeah, thing. Can,
1: well, you know, because it, you're true. not, you know, because you're not standing in a line signing or autographs or uh, even, even you know, with a bucket on the corner, at begging for money, you're not in front of anybody, you're not doing anything other right. than being within this, your, your soul is still intact, but you're, the only way people can see you is on the stupid camera. <laughs> is it real? You know, is a ghost yeah. of, of some sort. So anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's the, that virtual self, you know, that we're yeah. all sort of now having to be Really in touch with our virtual self. In yeah. fact, that's the one of the um, the songs on the new album is called um, "Can You Talk," and that's exactly what it's about. It's about meeting someone during the during lockdown, forming a friendship with them, not actually ever being able to meet them, not knowing when you can meet them, and then sort of like this whole idea of like, well, we're we're texting and we're you know we're you know and, and and that's really great cuz you know texting is good and you can just say whatever you want and you can like send it and you can but then it's like that moment you're like can you can you actually talk to me can you have a conversation with me because you know in isolation it's so almost rare to actually be able to just pick up the phone especially now, you know, it's almost this arcane, like, idea of, like, actually just picking up the phone and calling someone because everybody yeah. texts and WhatsApp.
1: Yeah, I feel so, like- yeah, so
2: that's, that's what that song is about. So that was awesome. totally inspired by um, that sort of virtual self, like how much we live in this virtual world now.
1: Do you feel like or do you agree uh, that, like, a text message or even an email, rather, is kind of like a fuse you're lightning a fuse and you're just like waiting for the other person to respond, which could that's, go one way or the other.
2: I love that. Depending I love on that what analogy. you
1: say. Well, you know, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of what I do. Uh,
2: yeah. And, I mean, I think it's cool because, you know, and there is sort of like some sort of scientific um, evidence that sort of says that texting and all these sorts of things. And that's why like um, social media is so addictive yeah. because it, it actually releases the same um, sort of, endorphins that some of the, some of the addictive sort of substances do. So when you send something and then you're waiting for that, you're waiting for that reply and you're hoping it's the reply that you want and you get it. It's like a hit. Yeah. And yeah. And so, yeah, it is like a fuse, and, but at some point you're just like, look, let's just do this and let's just talk. Let's yeah. just actually be human. Uh, a human it's to a, human it's conversation. A, it's
1: the complete opposite of, Hey, oh well, yeah, come say that to my face.
0: <laughs> complete opposite. I exactly. always joke that uh I, I joke that I use my phone for everything except talking.
1: <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> so I text and I email and I surf yeah, the internet really and good. I rarely actually use it to, to talk, which is kind of interesting since that's But how you have
2: such voice. an amazing voice. I mean, you need to use that more.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> uh yeah, and, and and it's uh and I've got a face for radio, so that helps. No. Yeah i didn't mean that (laughs) when you so
1: you said you you know you picked up your guitar and you just turned on your you recorded some songs on your phone on my phone yeah yeah um and the inspiration was was self uh inflicted uh via the lockdown if you will yeah and uh you um you know you're what came to you first? Because every writer has a different sort of like muse, right? What, what came to you first on these songs? And was it any different than other songs you've written in the past?
2: Well, okay. So the ones I did just on my guitar, um, where I picked up the guitar, I did a, um, velvet, velvet underground song called pale blue eyes. Okay. And, I I just had that song running around in my head, and I just thought, let me just learn this song and play it. And I did, and I just thought, wow, I really like this song, and I, I've always liked that song. And I recorded it, and it sounded good, so put it out. You know, it was sort of just what, you know, let, let me give, to be really, really honest with you, now, you think, now that I'm actually talking about it, I've always wanted to do an ac- just an acoustic album. Like, it was just me and the acoustic guitar. I always wanted to do sort of like my version of, like, So Alone by Johnny Thunders or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, something kind of dirty, but kind of like earthy at the same time and raunchy and earth, you know, that sort of very organic feeling. So it was that sort of, it was sort of like, I felt like, Oh, let me just do this. Cause then I can kind of see what that'll sound like if it's just me and the guitar. And it, I thought it was okay. So I put it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind but- of it.
0: Is this uh, is this typical for you when it comes to writing music? Do you typically work uh, uh, in isolation, or are you more used to collaborating with band members and other songwriters, or or is it a little bit of both?
2: Um, it's mostly just me. Like most of the stuff that you know that I've that you hear that is mainly me because I get into some kind of, some kind of weird zone. And I I don't even know how I do it. It's one of those things where you just feel like the song is already there and I'm just pulling it out of the air.
1: Yeah. Um, What comes comes to you first?
2: Yeah. um, uh, That's funny that you, you're reading my mind, Jason, from all the way over there. Um, I get both at the same time, which is so weird. hmm. So like, I'll get like these words, and it'll come with a melody. And all I'm doing is just I'm looking at my guitar and it's like, yeah, let me just. It, it, it's already there. It's really difficult to explain. It's as if the song is already written. I get that. And, and then I and then I have to go, am I ripping anybody off?
1: Right.
2: <laughs> like, wait, is this song actually already written? Yeah, that was too easy, off?
1: right? That's when you would have to lean <laughs> into so- your. To your closest friends, and all right, listen to this. Tell me who I'm ripping off right now, exactly, so, I can, exactly. so I can change a couple of notes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, I um, I don't know, I, I don't know. It, it, that's, and that sometimes it happens that way, and those are usually the best songs, and I actually are the ones that are easy to write. And I actually, I'm a huge uh, fan of um, Roy Orbison. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, random, but he said that he had the same thing. So when he wrote all of his amazing songs that you can't, you, you know, he was like, he, he he said something like the, the, the most amazing songs are songs that you can say the words, but you must also sing the melody. So you can never separate the melody from the words. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was such an amazing concept. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, so I that's kind of how I do it. So it's usually in very much in isolation. I need to sort of be totally alone for many hours a day, which is a feat in itself because I have two kids and I'm like you know, um, but they're older now, so that's good. So they're um, now they're teenagers. It's a lot easier. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's usually just me and and a guitar and just a lot of time on my hands.
0: Yeah. Right. Do you ever where feel like, people-
1: go ahead, oh, Dave. go ahead, Jason. Go ahead, Dave. No, it's cool.
0: I was going to just uh, real quick ask uh, Bridget where people can find your stuff. Uh, if they're interested in listening to your songs and where, where you don't have a, a, a record deal and distribution in the traditional sense of the old music business. So where do they no. find you? <laughs> a website or something?
2: Yeah. I mean, if you want to just, I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously I'm known for New York loose You're the rat, which um, I'm very, very proud of that album still. Yeah. Um, and I've done, um, I did a solo album in 2010, uh, which was called Bridget um, Bridget Weston, the desperate hopefuls. And then I did one in 2016, which was, um, Bridget Weston, the desperate hopefuls, the same sort of band I had. Um, and that was called from New York with love. And then I, now I have lockdown and everything is online, so you can get it on Spotify and Apple music and and all, all of the main platforms.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh you mentioned the Desperate Hopefuls and I think uh if I'm not mistaken Gary uh uh Sunshine Circus of Power guitarist is Yeah. Is that, did did he collaborate with you in, on one of those albums or
2: No, no. He no? was the he was the first guitar player um or the actually the second guitar player for um New York Loose. Okay. So okay. I did a lot of work with him with New York Loose.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So we're we're big uh Circus fans. circus fans
2: okay yeah, yeah. And,
1: um, <laughs> saw them on the call of the wild tour and i was very friendly with those guys every time they came through and me and alex were buddies for a long time and and oh, so yeah. that's i always thought that that uh when i read that uh about you and that you had uh sick that six degrees of separation with gary sunshine i was uh i got i got happy so
2: yeah (laughs) gary is amazing he was he's a great guitar player and he's an amazing songwriter in his own right Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so speaking of new york loose um that's probably uh the the band that puts you on everyone's radar that's kind of where you first made your mark and and you came out in a time like new york in the mid 1990s was a very uh there was a there was a pretty vibrant scene as far as sort of this glam punk, almost a revival with bands like New York Loose. You had D-Generation. You had the Toilet Boys. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like a really cool scene. And, and all of those bands were critically acclaimed and had a great buzz going in the underground, but none of them really... Um, reached a broader audience or had any major commercial success, even though all the ingredients were in place. So I know. what do you attribute that to? Because there was certainly a lot of talent in that uh, time period in, in New York in that style of music too.
2: Yeah. I mean, who knows? I think maybe we were just a bit too, we have to remember, um, grunge was sort of coming up then. So yeah. it was like Nirvana was really sort of starting to, Become the thing, so it was sort of really, you know, to be very, very not glam and not pretty and not clean and not, you know, what I mean. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So, um, and maybe some of that. Um, I know our record company was just diabolically bad. Our manager was a total, complete idiot. Um, so I think, I mean, if I, I, I really think that if I had a better manager and a better Label, I think that New York Loose would have been a success. Yeah. I, I actually attribute it to that because you can still listen to Year of the Rat and go, the, you know, it's it still sounds great. And I'm saying that as much of a fan of the band as and everyone that was involved in it, because it wasn't just me. It was Julian Raymond, the producer. It was the, all of the guys it was the time. It was the energy that everybody gave to that album. And, um, you know, I, I, that's what I think. I think that if we had a better manager and a better record company, I think we, we would have been successful. I certainly think that I would have been able to launch a more successful solo career and all that sort of stuff. Um, Degeneration, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't become successful that, you know, I mean, it, maybe, maybe we were just too, too much like the real thing. Do you know what I mean? Maybe we were just a little bit, not, not enough, you know, not enough commercialism,
0: Yeah, not
2: really sure, Yeah, but you know, we did a lot of touring with bands like Marilyn Manson and that's that kind of stuff. So, and they were, they got huge radio play and all that sort of thing, but they had a great record company and a really good manager. So it really comes down to it. It's like, I don't know if you guys are fans of a band called The Replacements.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: Okay. So I always look at The Replacements and go, how come they're, why did R.E.M. become so huge and The Replacements never did? I mean, not that they were, they were sort of the same kind of sound, sort of, right? It was sort of that very singer songwriter, but had a little bit of like that country kind of, but, you know, big star type feel. Yeah. And um, but it's it's all down to the manager and the and the and the label, unfortunately. Yeah. Ironically, now I think the the label and the manager have less to do with whether or not an, a record is successful. Yeah. Because now yeah. it's yeah. very much grassroots, and if you can get out on the road, and if you can start a really good social following, then you're probably going to do really well.
1: Yeah, you we all mm, we all in, in here know that it's like. I feel like the the hippies and the punk rockers had it down, and they were just hitchhiking and playing for beer and gas money. And they really created what uh, DIY sort of created different sounds of rock music. Yeah. The DIY and the punk, where the punk rockers and the hippies were this actual coalition, whether they realized it or not. Uh, sprang forth you know hardcore bands who were doing the same thing and i feel like bands like nirvana and all any any metropolis that had a healthy scene had these bands that were would intercross and the whole fanzine thing that the headbangers picked up. The, That's you know, right. Where-
0: but
2: you know, what, what was wrong with the New York? And I've talked about this before and um, I've ne- no one's ever really questioned me about it. So I'll just say it again because I think it's true. In fact, I did have a couple of people going right on Bridget. I was there. And I, I know that that is true that the New York scene didn't support each other,
1: mm. didn't
2: mm. support each other. I mean, I was not supported at all by the other bands in the scene. Mm. Wow. A lot of it was because I was a girl and they were like, how can you do this? You're a girl. Why, how can you be writing these songs and play guitar like that? And it was like, almost like I wasn't allowed. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, it
1: like there was there was, like seemed yeah. like there's other, there's other uh, women in, in the same scene that. Yeah. Uh, anybody that, heard
0: of Debbie Harry? That broke out. <laughs>
1: that did that did pretty good and it and I, know. I it's a bummer know. that that it wasn't just like the door was just blown open by whomever, and then it just it wasn't open. In fact, it the door
2: was be- the, the door was very much slammed shut quite a lot because of jealousy because you know everybody it was so cutthroat. New York is a very cutthroat and that, and that's a really good, good, good analogy again that you brought up. So in the CBGB scene, it was, you know, there was the Ramones, it was television, it was Blondie, right? Yeah. It was, you know, all of those sort of the New York. Patty, bands. Wouldn't,
1: wouldn't Patty hanging around in there all the time with everyone? Patty, Patty. Smith, Yeah.
2: I mean, and everybody supported each other, but right. in New York, it really wasn't like that. I mean, we all hmm. sort of maybe played on the same bill, yeah. But everybody was like covering up everybody else's posters. And, you know, it, it was very, very cutthroat. Yeah. And I think that if we actually joined together and we were a bit more of a union, um, like the Seattle scene and like the actual original punk scene in New York, I think mm-hmm. we all would have done a lot better.
0: Yeah. So Year of the Rat uh, was was uh, well received. I mean, it didn't move a lot of major numbers or anything, but uh, it was critically acclaimed and the fans loved it. And uh, I guess you've kind of alluded to this. I was going to ask. So based on that uh, type of momentum, what caused the band to just break up? Because you were kind of uh, making a mark and making it well. And then all of a sudden, poof. And I guess you kind of alluded to it a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um, so the, we, we were on the, I mean, yes, we were on the Crow City of Angels soundtrack, um, which sold a million albums. So that was really, really good. So I'm like, wow, that's awesome. So now we have like our platinum album, whatever. And we, we were, we were, um, I guess, So you kind of, I'm sorry, but did you want to know why we broke up or what happens? Or
0: basically, because as an outsider, it seems to me that you were, you know, you you had some momentum going and the album was well, you were signed, the album was well received, there was a fan base building. And then it's kind of like I always. I always kind of find Jane's addiction interesting because they broke up at the peak of their powers and you don't hmm. often see that bands usually to, to cling to that will either compromise their artistic integrity or, or or get along with people they don't want to get along with or whatever. It's mm-hmm. almost toxic, but you you cling to it because of the right. success you're having. Right. So, so, yeah, I guess basically I am asking what was the impetus for the breakup at, at a point when it looked like things were going well?
2: Do you want the truth?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Has the truth not been told until this not very really. moment? Okay. No. Oh, okay. Well, this absolutely. is an exclusive Talk Louder podcast moment. Then, <laughs> Yes. The truth yeah. be told on Talk Louder podcast.
2: Okay. So here we are in, we're opening up for the Reverend Horton Heat. We're in right. Colorado, I think. I think it was Colorado. And I get a phone call that says um, you uh, basically Bob Pfeiffer, who signed you to Hollywood Records, just got fired and therefore your band is dropped.
1: Uh, Yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, that's not how that's supposed to work, by the way. I mean, because a guy brings you into the label, if that guy does something stupid, you know that has nothing to do with you. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. mean that you don't work for the company anymore. That's that's not how that's supposed to go.
2: Well, surely exactly there was that. something
1: in the contract that actually said that. But I understand. No,
2: no, there wasn't. It's just that they hated mm-hmm. him so much that anyone uh, that, that he, <laughs> anyone that he brought into the label they wanted poor, to get rid
0: of. Poor son of a bitch. Damn. Yeah, it's a yeah, It it's was a con- convenient excuse. Basically. I swear yeah. I've met that guy before. What, <laughs>
1: Bob? I swear I've met him before. Yeah, he was weird. Sounds familiar. He was a weird guy. Anyway, no, I'm serious. I am think I've met a. I think I've met Bob Pfeiffer. Before.
2: Probably, probably. He actually went to jail. I think after that. But anyway, that's a whole. Oh, other never story.
1: mind. I've never met him before. <laughs> 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 Carry on. But
2: anyway, I just was like, okay, that totally sucks. What do we do? We're like out on the road. Like, who's gonna pay for the hotel room? What are we gonna do? Ah, right. So anyway. But what was also going on behind the scenes was that, you know, I worked incredibly 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 hard to get to where I was. I mean, as far as getting up on stage and having a, a you know, a whole bunch of songs that I'd written and a and a band and a label and I mean it was really tough. I mean, I used to when I lived in New York, I used to look at the menu cuz I had no money. I was just like really like a starving artist. I don't know if you've ever seen how skinny I used to be. I literally was like a starving artist and I would like go to the diner and I would have to, um, order the food based on the price of the food, not what I wanted to eat. You know, I mean, I would, and I, because all of my money, every single ounce of energy, all of my money went towards the band. Um, you know, rehearsals, guitar string, you know what it's like. It's a very expensive hobby as you know. And, um, and then when we became started doing well, it was as if the rest of the band went, "Oh, party time!" It like the the hard work is over; it's party time. So I would go on stage, and there would be just two drunk people and a drummer, yes. and me. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Oh my god!" And what the the Reverend Horton Heat tour was really tough because the Reverend Horton Heat audience were musos; they were musicians they and because the Reverend Horton Heat are very talented consummate musicians right they're just out of control they're all of them are uber talented Mm -hmm. and they can drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and go on stage and not miss a note well my band thought that they could do the same thing but they couldn't so I would go out there and do I sound bitter yet (laughs) <laughs> anyway, no, so great. There, and yeah. and I would see like the front row all ready to go. And I'm like, yay, yay. Here we go. Rock and roll. And, like I'm playing the guitar. And then I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at, at like Danny or something. And he's like playing a different song that I'm playing.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: And I'm like, Oh my God, this totally sucks. And then the front row would start looking at me like this. They yeah. blow this band blows. And it was like such It was like somebody had punched my soul across the room because it was like, here I am in this position, so grateful, worked so hard to get here. And the people that I'm depending on are completely 100% letting me down and embarrassing me. Wow. So, yeah, and it really was like that. It really think, was.
1: Do you think that was the beginning of the end? And and know. that was
2: the beginning of the end because yeah. I would say to them, guys, Danny, Mark, could you please don't drink before you go on stage? Just have a beer or whatever. Do all the partying you want afterwards, but not before. Bridget, you can't tell us what to do. What are you going to do? Uh, okay, that's fine. Now let's see what happens. And that's what happened. All and right. so – you know, it, it's like basically pure selfishness, pure lack of discipline, pure lack of being a professional, pure um, lack of understanding. And this is the thing: when I got that call that said, "You know, you're dropped," I went, "So what? We'll get another record company. You guys were you guys sucked anyway. We'll get another manager." Like I was totally like, "Let's just keep going." Yeah. Right. I know that I'll be able to get someone to help. I know I'll be able to get another manager to step in. Right. We're doing really well just because Bob Fiverr doesn't work at Hollywood records anymore. doesn't mean New York loose doesn't exist.
0: Right. Sure. Right? Yeah.
2: yeah. So, um, the, the kind of the big clincher show and I've told my very, my personal friends and family this story, but I'll tell you guys. So we're at the, um, the, uh, this, this show in, in Colorado and I'm, on stage, and we're we're when I and I'm looking at Danny, I'm looking at Mark, and they're completely like literally embarrassing the fuck out of themselves and me because they're playing t- t- not even playing together, I and mean, it sounded like shit. Sorry, I, I don't know. Can I say all these horrible? Yeah, yeah you're fine. Anyway, so um, I I just went, you know, I've got to end this because I had the front row. You could see there were all sort of musicians just looking at me like, oh my, you totally blow. Like, get off the stage. So I said, okay, this is going to be our last song. Thanks so much, Colorado. You guys have been amazing, you know, but we really got to go. So, you know, let's just do our last song. So anyway, I I finished the song and Danny goes into the, and I leave the stage and Danny and Mark go into the next song on the set list. And I wasn't on the stage because they didn't hear me because they didn't pay attention because they were wasted. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. You guys are in a band, you know, you know how horrible that is. Right. Can you imagine? So I go up to the dressing room and I'm listening to them going into the next song. They come up and they're so angry. They're like, Bridget, what are you doing? You, 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 you left the stage. Why did you leave the stage? I said, if you were not having your own private little rock show, you would have known that I said, this is the last song I said, because you guys sucked, you know, and um, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I, I basically just wasn't allowed as a girl, as a woman to say this, right. If I was a guy in a band talking to my other guy, band members, they'd be like, okay, dude, sorry. Yeah. You know, not me. No, no, no. I'm a girl back then. It was like, you know, you're, it was just, it was terrible really terrible so um i got the reputation of being a bitch Hmm. i got the reputation of being you know an insensitive diva which it's really could not be the furthest thing from the truth to be very honest with you and um yeah and danny mark said well you know what fuck new york loose we want to start our own band we want to start moto christ
0: yeah
2: i said okay fine you want to give up all of this Danny, yeah. you actually think you and Mark are going to be able to do anything that's, you know, and like, look how far they went. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. For people listening that, that maybe don't know, Danny is, uh, he's been the bass player for Faster Pussycat for now for a number of years. And, and Mark Diamond uh, was in the Dwarves. And,
2: and uh, I got him that gig, by the way.
0: The Dwarves? I got, him,
2: I got him the Dwarves gig. Yeah. Because um, Black Dahlia was a huge New York loose fan and followed us around a lot.
0: Yeah, and and really so,
2: me. <laughs> I was like, oh my god.
0: Mark yeah. spent some time in the in the dwarves, and then uh, he also fills in periodically with junkyard. Um, yeah, just uh, for people out there listening, just a little yeah. background on those two so guys. I'm
2: sorry, Mark and Danny, that I have to tell the real story, but it had to be told at some point.
0: Yeah,
1: so well, the, I don't. So the, I don't think infamous, it's a secret. I don't think it's a secret that they still like to drink. So,
2: well, I mean, if all you have to do is YouTube. Faster Pussycat basis, yeah. you know, <laughs> falling off the stage—it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, <laughs> I was—I was just going to mention. So, everything that you're telling me leads me back to that video of Danny stumbling backwards into the drum yeah. kit, and uh, Tammy just like, "What was that?"
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, th- this is this is the thing—he's allowed to do that in Faster Pussycat because Faster Pussycat is an established band that's had hit records platinum albums, blah, 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 you know, it's fine. If we were like, if we were already up there, I think it would have been, you know, it would have been hard, but it wouldn't have been impossible because we would have had, but what, the, what what I didn't tell you is that because people knew that we were getting dropped and that our ma- we weren't happy with our manager, we also had labels coming to see us and we also had other managers coming to see us and that no one wanted to pick us up Yeah. because they thought we were totally unprofessional.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah your your communication with your band is not you know nobody should take it personally you know if it if things like that it sounds like there was a bit of a car crash that not everybody in in your band uh recovered from i think that they were butthurt like hurt, but they were like butt hurt by you. Well, you said, No, nah, this, I know we're destroying these songs, and you know, this is our last song, Thank You, Good Night. And you know, leaving the stage, you know, just uh, you know, that those guys were oblivious because they were wasted,
2: totally oblivious. That's yes. a
1: car crash, you know, that that's they kept, and they that's kept, not they, what a band
2: yeah. is, a band, uh, you no. know like you know James Brown is like such a great example like he can, he can just go hit me and the, and the, and everyone knows what that means you know that's yeah. an amazing live situation right three that's wor- what it's three words me.
1: three What's words well oiled machine yeah. yeah
2: exactly and we were in the beginning oh my god there are some videos out there there's one um of us in New York um, there's another one of us live in Chicago we were an amazing live band we were tight we were we were really good
1: i feel then, like i feel like new york loose has a great reputation still to this day because of those moments yeah, i feel like i feel like the 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 things that you know uh the other guys have done uh e- even if they're you know they're they're just in another band and able to work that's great. It's just too bad that New York loose, you know, your songs di- are not really, um, yeah, you're the one who's pushing your songs. Mm. You're not really getting any help from, from the guys that kind of no. sort of left yeah. you hanging. Right. And I'm not even talking bad about anybody. I'm just saying it's too, it's too bad that the car ra- ran it's off the road. Bad. Yeah. You
2: know what? It's just too bad. that didn't have the vision. They didn't go actually, you know what, we were really great when we weren't drunk on stage. Look what we've achieved. Let's just pull it. Let's just pull it together. Let's just, you know, let's just keep working really, really hard and, and, sure. and just show up on stage and not be completely wasted. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. all they had. To do. But yeah, it was too well, much to ask.
1: So that, that was a thank you for telling the, us those stories to David's well, question. I think that that's a reality check for a lot of bands just on a level some sort of level of professionalism mm-hmm. um is it it is it you know it's it, it's it's not you weren't pulling like an axel rose you know what i mean you weren't showing up three hours late or like no. leaving the stage two hours early hey we just played Three songs. Fuck you. Good night. You know you didn't do that. You didn't do. Yeah, I you
2: loved know. what I did. I loved. Yeah. I loved it. I loved getting out there. I loved rocking out. I loved it. Every moment yeah, of you, it. I loved.
1: You. You were your. Your passion for for your songs is is real, and I feel like, uh, you know, New York loose the, being short lived like that is 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 not your fault. It's it's, it's not even those guys' but, fault. Mm-hmm. I just think that it got derailed, and it's unfortunate.
2: Yeah, it really. It's just one of those things, you know? It's yeah. just one of those one of those things. Anyway, you asked and I told, so that's oh, it.
0: That's great. Yeah, we appreciate <laughs> that. I guess, you know, if there is a silver lining out of all this, the, you know, New York loose uh does have uh a great deal of street cred and and I think that's uh something that um uh, a lot of bands strive for and don't always get. And and sometimes yeah. it's the short-lived ones that, uh, you know, they made their mark. Uh, they didn't uh, have an extended career, but while they were around, they burned brightly. And uh, when Jason said that we were going to get you on the podcast, I was excited because I was like, oh man, the girl from New York loose. That's, you know, they got so much street cred that it's right up my alley. I'm a big fan of all the, the New York uh, music that sort of spawned, new york loose i'm a fan of degeneration and the toilet boys and of course the ramones are one of my favorite bands and uh i know that you're a a fan of the stooges so everything that the the place where you come from is right up my alley yeah i was excited that we were going to have you on today
2: yeah well yeah i'm 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 excited to be here i'm really excited that people remember um new york loose i'm really excited that we were able to achieve what we did and it it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, I even said to, to Paul, the guy, Paul Unger, who, um, works with me sometimes like, what do you think about maybe doing a New York loose reunion? What do you think that would be like? You know? And he was like, mm, I don't know. You know, it's, it, it's always that sort of thing on my mind. Like I, what if, what if, but, you know, I'm kind of now just trying to just concentrate on, on my own music, you know, not that New York Loose wasn't my music as most of it was, but uh, just working in different ways than I did before. A little bit more on my own and, you know, a bit more like just like we said, like in a little bit more in isolation. It's been really nice not to have to rely on other people. That's been really, really good. Locked yeah. this album. It was just me. Um, and so it was really good really good to just you know be fully in control of it and not have to rely on
0: anyone else. Yeah, that yeah.
1: that can be healthy and and if you do have songwriting partners, they're they're going to understand and if they don't, they, they don't know where you're coming from. And yeah. that's okay. You just need to let them be, you know, figure it out on their own because that's the only way. Mm. I was going to comment on you know, not only anyone who is a direct member uh, of New York Loose and the street cred that you the gang that you were kind of involved with just in the whole uh, tenor of the group. But uh, this sort of piggybacks what Dave was saying, just I mean, and all, also back to what you were saying about uh, the Seattle scene was kind of taking over. And I don't feel like a victim of it, but I was I was all in there doing real well. And then all of a sudden this whole thing happens and it sort of like puts a wet blanket over what I was doing. Of course, I was thrown in with the Poisons and the Bon Jovis, which is not what I was trying to do at all. But they didn't have anywhere else to put us. And bands like that, there were some from New York that were kind of like. Sort of holding on for dear life in the same way that New York Loose was, and you knew who they were. And I'm talking about Raging Slab. I'm talking about Circus of Power, yeah. um, Freeway. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of things going on all at the same time that you're like just grabbing the next rope, you know, trying to see where your next meal is coming from, etc. Yeah. Like literally yeah. and and not so literal business step, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, And, you know, I feel like uh, Slab and Circus, they didn't sell the records that even Junkyard or Dangerous Toys or uh, maybe even... uh, uh, you know bang tango or someone like that who wasn't really a poison or a bon jovi you know uh rhino bucket is another one of those that's yeah. i'm going more west coast now rhino bucket that, was one of those yeah. those bands there yep. was this sort of rough and tumble kind of like pub rock whether, yeah. I mean, slab is different than circus, but they're the same enough to be like, oh, these are just a bunch of old New York punk rock guys playing boogie woogie rock and roll. Yeah. I get that. And I yeah. understand how everything sort of has to have, like we're talking business wise, has to have this box that it fits in or they don't know what to do with you. I feel like if in, you use the word victim, right? which I hate to use that because, oh, poor you and poor me, we're victims. No, someone didn't know quite where Bob Pfeiffer didn't even know quite where to put you guys. So that was why maybe the label was like, well, we're getting rid of him because we don't know what kind of shit he just signed. You know, we don't yeah. get this. So these these things are sort of these. um uh, The the stuffing in in this in this thing that people are ripping open the stitches and going what 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 in the hell you know uh, uh-huh. my metaphors are good sometimes and they're terrible others but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're trying to figure out how this thing works and if they can't figure it out they're just getting ri- they're just getting rid of it and yeah. i feel like that was happening across the board once oh wh- what nirvana and wh- what all this and then they just move they clean house and they bring in the new kids and and then it's like well God, this scene that was rumbling and that you cared so much about made you a lot of fucking money and you're not going to try to develop these bands anymore just because there's this already thing that's been built by these bands on their own via DIY, just like the punk rockers and the hippies did. And it's ready to just be poised and you just take over and start making money off of that that's already built. That is the business. Now the way that the music business is now it's it's back to the hippies and the hardcore punk rockers who are yeah. just shut up and get in the van it's you DIY. know just do it do it yeah. yourself all the time uh and the cool thing is is there's so many resources out there which you well know um for bands uh such as ourselves. it doesn't matter what age we are if we have accolades and awards and you know, stuff hanging on the wall or sitting on the show. Go. Yeah, I'm cool. It doesn't matter. All that it doesn't matter. None of that matters. There are resources. You can put your, re- you can record your record on your own. You can put your record out by yourself yeah. and the money goes right into your bank account.
2: Yeah.
1: There's yeah. no middleman. So yeah, sure. Yeah, no, not- the glitz and glamor of the whole MTV, that that's kind of gone anyway. It's all turning game show anyway. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. Now, tell me, tell me about the Marilyn Manson tour because obviously uh, Manson was, was a was huge at that point. Um, yeah. So he's he's a major arena attraction, and you're out on the road supporting. So tell me a little bit about that tour from your perspective.
2: Well, first of all, it was. Um, I remember um, our label said um, Marilyn Manson is a really big fan of yours, and he wants to. He wants to uh, take you out on the road. And I was like, oh, my God, really? You know, he goes and they and um, I said, "Okay," um," I said, that's cool. um, But what about the spooky kids? I mean, how are they going to feel about it? Because the spooky kids were like Marilyn Manson's sort of underground army. They were his they were the they were talk about DIY. I mean, they did everything for him. They did. I mean, it was amazing. He had like this following of kids. And, um, so I was a little bit nervous about it. Um, it was, there was, there was this album, huge album that everybody was talking about, but nobody could say what it was called until the day it was released. And I thought, okay, so let's, let's do it, you know? Um, and then they said, by the way, he has asked a couple of other bands, but no one will do it. Everyone's too scared. (laughs) And I was like, that's okay. We'll do it. That's fine. So anyway, um, we started the, the, um, the tour in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I remember that because um, I love the name Tuscaloosa. I thought that was just so cool. <laughs> anyway, so we were um, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and we started the tour and the album was called Antichrist Superstar and it was about to become a huge album. But at that point, no one had really heard of him outside of the spooky kids in the sort of more kind of underground scene. Mm-hmm. And, um, we went on stage and we had bottles thrown at us. We were uh, booed. We were, it was really tough. And I didn't really know how to handle that because I'm thinking, this is weird. Like, um, I've had people not like the band before, but I've never been actually physically attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, physically felt like I might actually get hurt up here. Yeah. And so um, I didn't really know what to do. So I I think it almost it was almost like out of anger and frustration, I had um, a bottle of Jack Daniels on stage. And I didn't really drink, to be honest with you. Um, but I did have it because it was—it looked cool, anyway. So what I did was I—I I took um, at, at the last—the last song, I—I um—I got really pissed off, and I just started taking the bottle of Jack Daniels and like kind of drinking it, and then just spewing it over the front row, the front two rows, and just like I can spit really far, by the way. So <laughs> I did that, and they absolutely loved it.
0: <laughs> of course they did. Of course did. <laughs> I
2: know. And they were like, "Yeah, spit on me." And so, like the next show, it was like you know, I had you know, I had like kids with like t-shirts that said "Spit on me," and you know, we love you, Bridget, and da da da. So I kind of it was it was just one of those things. Was like survival, and we ended up totally winning over their audience. And then there were all these rumors flying around that I was like dating Manson. I was like. No, but anyway, um but yeah, so that was cool. And and we we went from playing theaters to, to stadiums on that tour. And it was absolutely the coolest rock and roll circus you could possibly ever imagine.
1: That's it cool was. that you were kind amazing. of amazing. You guys were kind of there when that record broke. You're standing yeah, we right there. You're the support we act were. when the record broke. We were. Yeah.
2: We were. And the album is awesome. Yeah. And he and the band were awesome. And his all of his team and the lighting and, and the stage, he had this guy called Lawrence. I'll never forget. He was an English guy who did all the Shakespearean theater here in, in the UK. And he did all the lighting design. Um, so if you went to go see Midsummer Night Dream or something like that at... Um, the globe theater, which is, um, the, it's kind of like a replica of the original um, Shakespeare theater. He, you know, I mean, he had seriously professional people on that tour and it was amazing what they did. Really, really amazing. The lights, the show, it was, I mean, I know you've probably seen Alice Cooper and you saw, you see some of the stuff that he brings out and stuff. It was a little bit like that, but like on a whole other scale. Yeah. And, um, it was just great. It was great theater. It really was, and he was he was brilliant. I mean, I used to, he used to let me do his makeup. <laughs> it was great. We had
1: a really, <laughs> no, he, really, really he good got, relationship. He, he got all that from Alice. Just throwing that out there.
2: Of course he yeah. did, but yeah. he loved Alice. We both yeah. loved Alice. I mean, Alice is you know for me he's like a god. And um, but I, I got to meet so that. many people through through him as well. So it was it was a fun rock and roll tour, and that was still when we were still kind of had our that was that was when the band still had their heads on straight. You know, we were still, you know, professional and showed up on stage and did the job. Yeah, we were yeah. still doing the job then, so that was good.
0: So you mentioned the UK. You you you're living in the UK, correct?
2: I've been living in the UK since 1999.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so so tell me how where are you from originally, and how did you end up in the UK on <laughs> a permanent basis?
2: Okay, so I'm I originally am from New Jersey. I'm from um, the same area that John Bon Jovi's from and Bruce Springsteen, like sort of Central Jersey, like by the shore sort of thing. Um,
1: Tom, Tom's River,
2: yeah, yeah, around that area, yeah, and um, I. So that's where I grew up. As soon as I graduated high school, I went to New York City and started to study and, and that sort of stuff. But then I thought, oh, I want to be in a band. So I, I'd always played guitar and, and that kind of stuff. I was working at art galleries and and that sort of thing. And I'd met a lot of – I was sort of in the, like the art scene in New York, really, actually. Um, but I started a band. I started New York Loose. I met Rick Backus from Degeneration. We, we dated for about nine years. Ah. Um, And yeah, so I wrote a couple songs with Rick. So the luckiest girl, um, which is one of the new early New York loose seven inch singles is uh, a a song that I wrote with Rick. And we put that out as one of the first New York loose singles. And now his band is called Richard Backus and the luckiest girls. Right. Oh, that's Um, cool. Yeah. But actually we, we actually had a band called Viva La Wattage first. So. We did that one, and then he and then he joined Degeneration, and then I started doing New York Loose. But he was sort of playing guitar a little bit for New York Loose as well. Um, wait. The question was, where am I from? And we're sorry. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry. You're, you're giving us oh, yeah, a, so a good, good background. <laughs> Yeah, good.
0: Yeah, we we like so, the background. Yeah. I. I- <laughs> I love, uh, I'm a, you know, as I mentioned, a Degeneration fan. And Rick uh, came through town on a solo tour one time after Degeneration uh, broke up. And yeah. uh, he was playing this little dive here in Austin called Headhunters. And uh, I went down to the show to see him because I'm a Degeneration fan. And I met him and, and we hung out a bit. And he actually gave me a t shirt that night that I still wear to this day. Um, so, yeah, it's, it says Richard Bacchus and it's got this skull with the acoustic.
2: Oh, I know it.
0: Yeah. The acoustic guitars in the eyes, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's a really talented artist as well. I don't know if you've ever seen his sketches and things. Um, he's, he's a really talented, really talented kid. Really, really talented. Anyway. So, um, yeah. You're, you're so,
0: in Jersey. Yeah. So you're, so you're in the New York scene working. Yeah. You know? I moved
2: to New York and I was in the New York scene and, and, and you know, It was it was, you know, the whole thing, you know, the degeneration and the raging slab and the circus of power. And we were all, you know, kicking around and then, um, you know, got signed, was on the road for many years, um, then went back to where did I go? Lived in New Orleans, made a record with Shawna Salt from White Zombie. Um, It's called The Famous Monsters. Oh, I
1: know. I know that record. Yes. Do you do? Yeah, I nah. think I might have Get it. Get out of there, really. I think, I think
0: I might have it behind me
2: somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm Vampire Girl.
0: Awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're friends with uh, Sean's uh, husband.
2: Uh, oh, Chris.
0: Yeah, Chris Lee, super yeah. group
2: supergroup i was yeah. there when they met <laughs> oh
0: wow wow
2: yeah i was living with shauna and we were we made the famous uh, monsters album and then but i i was like you know i don't really want to do this full time i was sort of really into really getting into my songwriting so i started a band called sandusky which you'll be able to find on spotify as well sand it's two words sandusky because i'm a huge wilco fan Um, and I met, um, Pat Sansone from Wilco when we were, I was living in New Orleans. Um, we're still friends with Pat now and, um, things were not great with me and Sean because she really wanted me to keep doing famous monsters, but I didn't see it as something I wanted to do full time, you know? So anyway, um, then I moved to, uh, LA and did a couple some pieces there and wrote a couple songs and sent them over to Sony Music Publishing uh, in the UK for some reason. I don't know why they went there, but anyway, they liked them and they said, why don't you come here? And um, just you know, you had a, you had a, some fun in, in the UK with New York Loose? why don't you come back and, and do some stuff and write with our stable of writers? And so I did. And I kind of never left. And that was – I I came here in 99. And then I, you know, life took over. So I stayed. That's a pretty
1: cool, yeah. Yeah. like, sort of, like – Trajectory. Yeah. That's like a yeah. – your, your story was fairly – I don't, I don't want to say uh, – typical or normal <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. but you know your jersey you're new york scene you got a deal you rock and roll you're on the yeah. road you go to new orleans hey sean famous monster's cool ah, i'm gonna go to la a couple songs at what uk yeah kind <laughs> of kind of a kind of a normal in like fling slingshot kind of Yeah. A
2: thing. Yeah, I know, are, right?
1: Are things for your do you feel like do you feel like things uh, opened up for you a little bit when you got over there?
2: Uh yeah, I think so. I mean, I per, I maybe worked,
1: personally, personally. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, for my personal life, um yeah, I met the the father of my of my children. Um we're not together anymore, but that's another story. Um and I sort of did the whole kind of motherhood thing in England. Mm, okay. um, so I never had kids in America. My kids have never done the American school thing. They've never done they've never gone to like the high school dance. So like, you know, yeah. it's really weird. You know, they're they're um I live a very English life now. Um and I live
1: It's a good line wow. in a song. I never went to the high school dance. <laughs> It's not. I was not allowed at the high school dance. I yeah,
0: like they, it. They saw you coming and called security. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so obviously – so obviously the UK has some, obviously some lasting appeal for you. And, and some of that is based on your personal life, you know? You,
2: yeah. You, I mean, listen, you know, once you, when you move somewhere and then you have kids uh, in a different country and their father is from it, you can't, re, you're not, you are you are kind of stuck. I mean, you're not going to like, I, I, there was no way I could move back to New York with the kids. Right. If their father was here, you know? So, right. and I can think of, of a lot worse places to be stuck. I absolutely Great. love living here.
1: Great. Yeah. Um, uh-huh it's great i was kind of sort of hopefully creating a path that you would dart down that would that would have been something like i hope that you moving there like like opened your muse and you you became you know uh, you wrote like a shit ton of songs because of where you were whether you felt like you were floating or that you had claimed stake or stake claim rather. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, that big jaunt, and then, you know, you're, 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 uh, you know, you meet your guy and you have kids and it's like, that's even more inspiration for more uh-huh. material. Do you Thank feel you like, do you feel like that? Well, it's, it sounds like a big deal.
2: It's well, my God, yeah, it's, it yeah. is. And it um, very
1: well, as a, as a creative person, it very well could. I mean, it just sounds whether it's you or Dave or me or her or him or whoever. It just sounds to me like this, like boing, and then could you know it, you could really kind of start a, start a whole new you creatively because my kids can't go to the high school dance.
2: I did. I mean, listen, if you listen to, well, first of all, if you listen to the Sandusky album, Lonely Satellite is a song I wrote. um, When I came to England and I thought, Oh my God, I'm actually never going back home. So I'm sort of like stuck out here like a satellite. I'm sort of right. So, so that that one,
1: that title makes you think about the story that you just told.
2: Yeah. So listen to that song, because that one's really, really about me going to uh, England and realizing I was, you know, it was a bit like, you know, Major Tom. It's like, can you hear me? Like, I'm here now. I can't leave. Holy Um, crap. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. And then um, the first New York Loose album, I mean, the first uh, Desperate Hopefuls album, the Bridget Weston, the Desperate Hopefuls album, there's a lot of stuff on that about being a mom and being – you know, just having to and having to live this certain this life, you know, I had to live yeah. this life yeah. that was, you know, here I was like sort of this New York rock chick and I'm showing up at the at the English private schools. And like the moms are like, what the fuck is that, you know?
1: <laughs> that's like it's a movie. That's, <gasps> I, I feel like I'm watching a movie of this like fish out of yeah, water. No, I like, wasn't actually
2: accepted.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's but then I moved. Even better. I was eventually.
2: I yeah. I I I sent my kids to another school and and, and then it was more like minded and, and it was it turned out to there was it was great because there was more artists, musicians, actors, yeah. you know, actresses that went there. So that was it was good. But yeah. um and then I have a song on uh From New York with Love, which is the second Bridget West in the Desperate Hopefuls album, and that song is called Done It Proud. And that song is totally about me doing what i've done you know with my music Great. becoming a mother um persevering and keeping going with with my music and with my muse and still communicating to my muse even though i've got all these other sort of demands on me and so that's that song really really says what if there's other women out there that are musicians and and having kids or or have kids and my God, it is a hard journey, but you know it's you it, it it's so important to keep in touch with who you really are oh yeah and because when you become a parent, especially as a mom, you are asked to give up who you really are that's yeah. what society wants you to do. they just want you to fade into the background and become a mother, and you know. It, it 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 made me incredibly unhappy for a very long time when I did that. Until I realized I didn't have to do that anymore. So, yeah. so I'm actually really really happy. I'm I'm starting a new business here. Now I just bought an amazing building that's um, sort of late seventeen hundreds. Wow. I'm redoing it and I'm doing an art gallery and um, selling some just really awesome stuff. So.
0: Yeah, nice. nice. So that's
2: all going right. to happen in the spring. So yeah, so I'm still I'm trying to like metamorphose myself as much as I can, as as often as I can.
1: Well, just you know, stay you know? just just stay creative at all costs.
2: Exactly.
1: Just stay creative at all costs it's in, so any, in, in any forum, any just any way. Let, I mean, write, I can't, it, yeah.
2: I don't I don't know how to do anything else except for write music and play guitar a little bit and write songs. I'm in awe of, of people that can paint and that can draw and that can build and that can do all those sorts of things with their hands. I find it really, really, really interesting. So, so
1: this, this building that you bought, tell us again yeah. what you're going to do with this building.
2: So it was a fish and ship shop and it had for, for many years, it's been in the same family for like 200 years. I'm like the, the first person that is actually on the register of the council. Cause every, it, like in, in the database, my lawyer, I was, I was, I saw my lawyer the other day and he showed me all the papers that are, have, have been associated with this building for the past 200 years. And they're all sort of like old English, you know, script on scrolls almost. It's so that weird. Is awesome. It's so cool. I can't believe I got it. Oh my God. And so um, it needs to be completely gutted. It's it was a fish and ship shop on the bottom floor and then on the top floor it's it's an apartment and then there's some uh, an outbuilding outside and sort of a, a courtyard. And it's in a um it's in a town called Petworth um which is known for sort of antiques and and art and that sort of stuff. Wow. And um, it's about an hour from London, and it's in the it's in West Sussex, so it's a beautiful area.
1: Will it be and, an, art, um, an yes. art? an art studio.
0: Um,
2: yeah. A- so I'm gonna it's gonna be um an art gallery. I'm gonna I'm gonna carry a lot of different different contemporary art and and classic art, and then also antiques and sort of you know old things. I I just bought a whole bunch of mid century things from the 60s. I love 60s design so it'll have a little bit of that sort of thing. Very really sort of collectible things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well wow. like I'm it.
2: really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds
1: like a lot of fun and yeah. um and then, you know, it sounds like you're extreme being in in any avenue. It sounds like you're being extremely creative in any way that you can and and it's good and and it's it's also impressive that you know your kids are now teenagers and it's going to even just give you a little bit more room just to kind of yeah. like be able to be have that high even more especially with your new uh your new digs.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah. so excited my my son Jasper turned 18 in November. That oh, wow. was really amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Like my amazing, mind. you know, to to have gone through this journey with him as his mother um from a baby to 18. I'm wow. um, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. My kids are just amazing.
1: Awesome. Well, so congratulations on on that part of your life and and f- future future creations, whether it be song or art of any kind, for sure. Yeah.
2: Thanks, and you guys yeah. too. You guys keep doing what you're doing because it's so important.
1: Yeah, we keep, love we love yeah, this. This was kind of fell in our lap. It was uh, actually. Created by one of my guitar players, Jared Tutin, who's kind of a behind-the-scenes producer of the entire thing, and how that story goes, and we we've talked about it, you know, a whole lot of times. I'm can't even count, uh, but I don't mind mentioning it again. It's like called us up on. It was might have been a text message. Dave can correct me if I'm wrong. It said, "What do you guys think about doing a podcast?" And the whole thing was, you know, when you, you know, here's comes Jason and here comes Dave and they meet at a party and they start talking about rock and roll and either yeah. the whole room joins in or just is like brilliant, jaws open, watching us geek out on things, rock and roll and just, <laughs> oh, brilliant. I have that record. I have that poster. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with that and all that kind of a thing. Or the room disappears, like, God, listen listen to these nerds. You know? So it went either way, but the, it's good and bad same time, but it's a process that does happen. And me and Dave have been friends a long time. And and Jared's not wrong. He's like, you know that thing that happens when you guys hang out? Let's put that on a podcast. And I was like, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's so cool because it really, I mean, it is sort of like a tribe. I always think like I'm, I've been really, I've been kind of like born into a tribe and this is the tribe. It's like, we know yeah. all these things about, you know, Iggy Pop and Didi and Ramon and all these people that, and bands like obscure bands, like the saints, like from Australia or whatever, you know, and, you know, and it's like, it's like, it's like, we're like this tribe of people that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. we yeah. get
2: together and we can hang out no matter where we are from or what our backgrounds are from we we can just talk the rock and roll talk you know that's this, right I,
1: I always look at so it cool. like it it's the first day of school and you don't know anybody and you're looking for the kid wearing a motorhead shirt yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's your only friend
0: that's my friend right there you he make, doesn't know it yet people. but we're about to be friends make, yeah. you
1: make your yeah. friends one one at a time you know <laughs> and then next thing you know you have a, you have a thousand yeah, so, and that's your tribe, and that's how you're in in inoculated or however you want to call it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so how do you? I have to ask this. So yeah. how do you know Paul Unger?
2: Oh my God! Well, Paul Unger. Oh, well. For, because... for people
1: listening, uh, uh, I'll just and you can join. You can join in with me. Paul Unger is this wonderful human being who his first love had to have been rock and roll. He is from, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Naples, Ohio. Uh, (laughs) I think that's right. Actually, Mm -hmm. uh, middle of Ohio. He, uh, started helping promote bands and like street teaming for bands in his area. And, uh, he even put on shows for bands coming through town or local bands or whatever. He's one of those kind of guys. And I've known him for 25 years or something like that as this guy. And he, he all, it's almost like you could say he knows everybody. Um, he knows Jared, our producer, who was in a band called Pariah. On Geffen Records, and Paul was actually living in Texas at the time that they were starting to come up. And uh, anyway, how do you? How does Paul Unger fit into this?
2: Well, Paul Unger, um, I think I met Paul Unger um, through somebody called Renfield, who was Alice Cooper's assistant, okay. um, who sadly is no longer with us, mm-hmm. um, but. I think that's how we actually, or maybe Paul Unger turned Renfield onto New York Loose and then Renfield turned Alice Cooper onto New York Loose and we got to open for Alice Cooper and and have been friends with Alice Cooper ever since. But I, (laughs) I think that's how. Anyway, he has been, honestly, like a lifeline for me because without Paul Unger... I would have forgotten a long time ago who I who I really was. In other words, he's he's the guy that knocks on my door virtually and says, Bridget, what are you doing? Are you gonna make a new record? Are you I think I think I can get you somebody to somebody to interview you. I'm the biggest New York Loose fan that ever was, and I think that we're gonna do this. and he is just so proactive and he's amazing. And he basically put together lockdown for me. All I did was send the songs. He did the artwork. He did everything. He's doing all the promotion. He is honestly my lifeline. He's my uh, rock and roll like lifeline. He really is.
1: He's, uh, he's an angel.
2: He is. I mean, I, with, I, without people like him or without Paul, yeah. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this interview.
1: I, wouldn't, roll, I wouldn't have made rock, rock and, and roll. Angel. I wouldn't have done any of that. Mm-hmm. He's a rock and roll angel.
2: He really is. He's a God-savior.
1: He is. Uh, yes, all of those things. He's like a superhero. He's an angel. He's because the, all of the things that you just said, he's done that to me. You know, knock on my door virtually. And yeah. are you right, Jason? Are you writing any more Christmas songs? What? Give me, give me all you got. I want mm-hmm. to write an article about them. I'm like, holy shit! No one mm-hmm. else is wanting to write an article about my Christmas songs, <laughs> you know, or whatever <laughs> okay. the hell it is. So, you should
2: have him as a guest on the show.
1: I think that that's a great idea. Uh, he's worked with so many people. Yeah, uh, he's a, even if it just be like a sort of, um, for some reason, the word kaleidoscope comes to mind. Well, it could be like a, a scrapbook, if you will.
2: Fantastic conversation, we could right? Fly
1: the, fly, yeah. Fly the photos because he takes pictures with everyone. I've yeah, got pictures for of him sure. with Alice and everything. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, so. So, yeah, so that sounds like where did you first? So, you how when was that that you met him through Renfield?
2: I think it was, um, 1997, 98. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Long time. Okay. Yeah. This would have been, oh. I met Paul probably 10 years prior. So, oh,
2: wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: long time. 30 something years. Um, the interesting, uh, thing about Paul is, is he has not, changed except for his hair color <laughs> not not one thing has changed about paul unger um and that's uh, cool that's I, really saying something yeah i agree 100 i saw him uh, a few months ago i was in the middle of pennsylvania and he he traveled to to see me perform and i, I hadn't seen him in years so and he was right there front row holding me up all night Ah.
0: So, Bridget, I have to ask you, uh, as someone who uh, spent time in the New York rock and roll scene, um, yeah. and me being a huge Ramones fan, do you have any Ramones stories that you can share with us? Did you ever cross paths? I see an Evil any... Grin now. I see have you I see not, have you evil not grin. done
2: any research? <laughs> I,
0: I, <laughs> not, well,
1: I, I want you to. let's say well. Yeah, let's say no. We've done no research. No? Yeah. You ever heard of the Ramones? <laughs> Wait, have you have
2: you or have you not? Because I used to. Okay, I I don't know. Did you see my? Have you seen any of my stories about Dee Have you have you listened to any of my stories about Dee
0: I have not. No. Oh
2: my god! Really?
0: Oh, okay. this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be good. Good setup right. here.
2: Okay, so me and Rick uh, Bacchus mm-hmm. had. Now hold on. This was even before. We were called Viva La, Viva La Wattage. Anyway, I was trying to find band members. I was find, trying to find a bass player. Um, anyway, so I walk into the, oh, what was it called? It was called like one of the, it was one of the um, clubs on the west side. Um, I can't remember what it was called now. Anyway, and Dita Ramon's at the bar and someone said, oh, maybe Didi will play bass for you. And I was like, ha, 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 that's so funny. And he was like, I'll play bass for you. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was like, it was was so surreal. I was like, are you joking? It was so, so, so surreal. Anyway, for like five minutes, Dita Ramon was my bass player.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Five minutes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He was leaving the Ramones. He was leaving Vera, his wife. And he was leaving the Ramones and it was just like, you know, the Ramones were fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And he's like, I just want to have fun. And I just, Oh, and this is just before he did D.D. King. So it was before he completely went completely off the rails. So,
1: um, uh, Dave, Dave, that's what she meant
0: by five minutes. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. No, this is going to take longer. This is a whole other interview. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I this opened is, up a can of worms.
2: Yeah, I mean maybe we need to do part 2 cuz this
0: <laughs> give us give, give us the- a, a DD story.
1: Just use this one as, you know, take take what you need but condense.
2: All right. He decided that he was in love with me and that oh. I needed to be in love with him. And I'm thinking, I'm not <laughs> in love with you. Um I'm a huge fan, but anyway, so he um was in my apartment, I was working at a gallery, like I said, in New York, um, called The Psychedelic Solution, which was a fantastic gallery. And um, he called me at work and said, I have a shotgun in my mouth, and I am going to blow my head off if you don't come home. Wow. Not good. What do you think about that story? Not I'm good. serious. That's and I went, oh, my God. And I told my... This, it even gets weirder. You ready? I told my boss, I said, listen, I don't know what to do. I said, DeeDee is in my house with a shotgun in his mouth. Wow. <laughs> and he's going to blow his head off if I don't go home. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm going to call Christine and Debbie Harry and see what they say. So he did. Next thing I know, Christine and Debbie Harry are sitting in the office with us. And Debbie Harry's going like, well, Bridget, what did you do to, uh, you know, cause DeeDee to do that? And I'm like... What is, it's not my fault. I mean, I, it was, it was the most bizarre thing ever. Anyway, I think Chris went over to the apartment and Didi lived to make other records. Basically. Wow. And that was like 1987, I think. Something Dark like
1: moment. that.
2: moment. Wow. Wow.
0: Well, that's not exactly what I was looking for, but um, I, I, I do appreciate your honesty and, uh,
2: he had my name tattooed on his arm. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, it was like and everyone was thinking, "Wait, like you must be stalking him. How can it be the other way around?" I'm like, "I'm telling you, it is." <laughs> wow. Wow. Really weird. Really weird.
0: Yeah, interesting guy. Uh great musician, great songwriter, but uh obviously had some demons and some some personality issues, I guess you could say, but um, I
2: loved him dearly. I need to to add that. I mean, as you know, he was just the most gentle, wonderful, you know, beautiful soul. He um, he but he really, like he, really was troubled.
1: Yeah, it very didn't seem troubled. like he was. Uh, I I didn't know the man, but it didn't seem like he was afraid of very much. But there were certain things that he was mm. afraid of. Uh, my only DD story is. I'm standing in line to get into the cat club in New York. Yeah. Standing there in a line with other people that I did not know. And I believe my guys were already inside is what it was. And I'd just been dropped off and kind of a hustle bustle. You know, there's, I'm rubbing elbows with people I don't know. And I'm just trying to, you know, trying to get into the club and I, in my peripheral, vision I'm looking I'm kind of seeing someone short little guy next to me and I'm holy shit that's Didi Ramon hey man what's going on <laughs> and he he was like hey what's up mm. I'm just yeah I'm just here yeah how are you you know and I had a, a you know a, a three-minute conversation with Didi Ramon and that was it
2: he was so nice he yeah was a he lovely. was
1: but but he lovely didn't, man he was by himself he didn't no one was fucking with him there was yeah. no like fanboy shit going on
2: no he was the I, real deal
1: yeah yeah i, I and
2: I, you know he actually had a band in new york i don't know if you, you may know this you probably do called the chinese dragons did you know that
0: yeah
1: yeah that's dave's forte yeah they yeah they were
2: amazing
0: yeah um they
2: were so cool but he no would. one knew. It suddenly, he did. D- he did this Dee King thing, and then everybody knew about that. But
0: yeah, I
1: have that. Ruled there. He's like um, even. You know, when you you say living legend, you know, I automatically think of people like Lemmy, and you know, they they, they you know Dee you know, in the Ramones, they, they didn't quite sell the records they knew they were going to sell until they were all kind of gone then they became this like huge blown up thing right so i feel like the ramones were living legends sort of on just above an underground kind of thing like could they
2: managed i could, don't know how they did it they know, managed just, to do that
1: just could blow you know, up at see. any moment but never really did until they were all gone good or yeah. bad or ugly whatever but i feel like dd was one of these i mean he used to hang out with television he used to like, I don't know if he r- helped them write songs together, but he could have just been partying with them. I don't know, but I know that that was kind of a thing. And when you listen to television and you think about Dee just maybe like lurking in the room, I don't know. I had this vision of that when I listened to television and that's not very often. I, I like television, but I don't think I own any of their records. I mm. teach music and sometimes we'll do like classic punk shows and there'll be a television song right next to a Ramon song, which is not even ironic. So, yeah. but yeah. those kinds of things make me think of him very often. And, and then, uh, you know, in stories like this, um, you know, dark, light, Whatever I really think yeah that, uh, it just goes to the creative uh side of what we're exactly. all exactly. I mean,
2: exactly. You know, like I said, he was the real deal. I mean, when yeah. you're dealing with someone that lives that that actually lived it and actually created it. I mean, the, the Ramones created all of this music That's that right. we're listening to now. They created right. it. I mean, they were um of course, it's not going to be a straightforward person. This isn't no. going to be a, the kind of person that you can kind of just have a normal like chat with like you can for, you know, the guy at the bank or, you know, the guy that's selling yeah. you. I mean, he's D.D. Ramon, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? True. It's true. like
0: it's, it's completely true.
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. have to make allowances.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he's, yeah, either, yeah, yeah. Cra- he's either cracking you up or he's causing you a great deal of concern. That's
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't have it any other no. way. I wouldn't have he it any it. other way yeah
2: no way wow. absolutely yeah. absolutely i, I feel I like mean, you, I, you... i'm so sad i was so sad when he died i mean i was really sad i mean yeah. you know i i just can't believe that they're all gone i mean it's yeah. just it's just tragic
1: yeah it is. almost
0: doesn't make yeah. sense in a
1: weird doesn't
2: way. make sense
0: one yeah. of my favorite bands for sure the, we had uh, Mar-
1: I, I feel like i'm sorry dave i feel like you know something you, you just said uh you could probably say you could say that about a lot of people but back to new york and and the cbgb scene like the the bands that broke there you know uh whether there's you know this many or only this many you could pick probably this many of them and say the exact same thing like they were not like each other but they were from the same tribe like Mm. tonally their music was not I mean, the Heads were not like the Ramones, and the Ramones were not like Patty. And you see what I'm saying? It's like there's and Suicide
2: was like none of them.
1: Yeah, oh, right. But yeah. then you know, and and Blondie, none of those cats were. It's kind of. I mean, maybe some of uh, some of Debbie's band could have played with the Heads, but it's not the yeah. same kind of. Everybody had their own like breakout tone and sound yeah, and thing. Yeah. But they were definitely part of this whole movement, and it it's I I really feel like you know, every metropolis has its own CBGBs kind of a you know kind of nucleus, sort of like hole mm-hmm. of 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 junk that you know creates this thing that uh, people who are just like the sprockets you know, or the spokes, I'm sorry, to something like that are like gunning for, like, Mm -hmm. I want to, that's such an influence. And that is the reason why I am the way that I am, because their music spoke to me. And that's why we have a show called Talk Louder. Yeah, this is exactly why, why we do this. Is because of people, it. people like you, Bridget. Thank you for Yay. being here. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, really. Thank thanks for joining us today. This was this uh, was great, and uh, I I really appreciate uh, you being so forward and honest with some of these stories that, that you said, uh, <laughs> No, we, uh, it's great Please stuff. Uh, thank you. Uh,
2: yeah, I really appreciate yeah. you promoting um me as well. You know, because yeah. it's 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 really nice because I always think, oh god, people are going to forget about me at some point. So
0: <laughs> we want people to to be aware of your new stuff as well as your, your legacy, of course, with New York. So, yeah. So we'll get the word out. We thank you for joining us and helping us get the word out. We appreciate all the little sidebar stories too. That's always good stuff. Uh, Jason, you got anything else for Bridget?
1: No, this has been fantastic. Thank you for being here with us today.
0: It's been a lot of fun.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been really fun for me too. So thank you for having me on. And, and thank you for, you know, Keeping the sort of this torch kind of burning, you know, it's so important.
0: Absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. I'm Metal Dave Glessner along with my co host Jason McMaster and Bridget West joining us today.